If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke? Uh, New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. I'm going to ask you to stand if you are able to in honor to the reading of the Word of God. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Uh, the Bible says, beginning at verse 38, that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Say distracted. One more time, distracted. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? That my sister has left me to do all of this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. See, Mary has chosen what is better. Say better. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you are moving in this service. I know, Lord, that uh, you want to speak to your people. After all, you are calling. I pray, God, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open, that our minds would be open to receive the word of the Lord. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So today we are continuing our series called God is calling. We've been really talking about how you might respond if God actually called your name. As mentioned previously, God always, he calls plenty of people in the Bible by their name, uh, but I've only found seven times in the scriptures where God calls someone's name twice in a row, like Abraham, Abraham, or Jacob, Jacob, or Moses, Moses. But each time we know that God calls someone by name, we can see that he usually follows it up with something that is powerful uh, or profound that, that can touch their lives forever and ever. For example, we know that he called Abraham to remind him that, that uh, God must be first in his heart and in his life. And so the Lord tested him by actually asking Abraham to lay down his Isaac to sacrifice him. And because of his obedience, because Abraham obeyed, we know that the Lord returned Isaac and, and God blessed him greatly. We also know that God called Jacob, right? In order to calm his fears and assure him that the Lord is always with him. How many of you are glad that the Lord is always with you? He's always. And so once Jacob actually laid down his fear, we see that God actually filled him with courage and the faith that he needed to go down to Egypt to be reunited with his son Joseph and to experience blessing upon blessing. He also called Moses. He called Moses to tell him that he saw his, the suffering of his people. I'm so glad that when we're going through a struggle or suffering that God sees and uh, the Lord wanted to do something about it. More specifically, God wanted to use Moses to accomplish his will. We said that it was kind of funny because the Lord said that he was going to deliver his people, that he was going to do it. And then he turns around and says, I'm going to do it through Moses. 
And so once Moses surrendered his anxiety, once Moses surrendered his, his fear, his excuses, his feelings of inadequacy, we know that God empowered Moses to perform mighty miracles and, through, and the Lord was able to deliver his people from suffering in Egypt through his servant Moses. Last week, God called Samuel. We learned that the content of the message was not nearly as important as the simple fact that God spoke and Samuel actively listened to God's voice. I said in that message that many times you and I, we have a long list of needs on our prayer list and, and God, I need this and God, I want that and, and God, will you work on my behalf? But many times we, we don't take time to listen. And so we encourage you on, your, on the bottom of your list, write down in big letters, take time to listen. Now listen. And so we know that the fact that God spoke to Samuel and that Samuel actively listened to God's voice was the big deal because the truth is that God is calling and he's still calling. In fact, Samuel demonstrated just how important it is to, to listen to God's voice in a, in a world full of distractions. And that's actually a great segue into our message today. And so the fifth person that we're going to talk about that God calls by name twice is Martha. Now Martha, along with her sister Mary and, and their brother Lazarus, yes, the one whom Jesus rose from the grave, they were close friends and followers of Jesus. They dearly loved uh, the Lord. And the other gospel writers tell us that their home was like a home away from home for Jesus and his disciples. And see, Martha's story, which finally brings us to the New Testament in our series, is among one of the most familiar stories in all of the Bible. Just mention the name Mary and Martha in a group of Christian women, and you'll get a reaction almost every single time. The Bible says in verse 38 that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Another translation says that she welcomed him into her home. But I tell you, we often overlook, uh, we often overlook what is very familiar. Uh, what we often overlook about this familiar passage is that Jesus and his disciples show up unexpectedly at Martha's door. And so they didn't have cell phones. They didn't even have corded phones in those days. And so Jesus couldn't call ahead. And so instead, Jesus just showed up at their door. And Martha, it's like Martha says, come on in. Come on in, Master. Come on in, Jesus. Sit down, Lord. I'll just go in the, in the kitchen and I'll fix you something to eat. And so Martha hurries off into the kitchen, probably assuming that her sister Mary would be right behind her. Now, before we go any further this morning, I want you to put yourself in their, in their shoes. Imagine 13 hungry men who had been walking the better part of a day just showing up at your door unannounced. Some of you are maybe thinking of times when groups like the Jehovah Witnesses showed up at your door. And I would beg, I would dare to say that some of you Pulled the shades, you hid behind the couch, all of a sudden you became an acrobat, you did some flips because they were at your door, you didn't want them to come in, you didn't want them to see you, they showed up unannounced, imagine that, knocking at your door. I think most people would immediately go into panic mode, but Martha didn't. 
She simply invites Jesus in along with the 12 hungry apostles to stay for supper. And she doesn't whip up this basic casserole of Kraft macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. Not this hostess. I mean, it, it sounds like she goes all out and clearly she needs help. See, Martha is like the queen of the kitchen. Probably the rest of the house too. The Bible doesn't tell us her last name, but for all we know, it could have been Stuart. And she definitely sounds like the Proverbs 31 woman, or at least Israel's version of Betty Crocker. And so I imagine that Martha scraps her ordinary everyday menu of soup and bread, and she pulls out all of her cookbooks. I'm taking a little bit of freedom this morning. After all, this is Jesus, and, and Martha's going to prepare a, a banquet for the king, the king of kings, actually. She had to make sure that the, the centerpieces and the napkins matched. She has to slaughter a lamb, and she can't forget to slice those delicious pomegranates that she bought at the marketplace the other day, plus soak the lentils and, and pound the, the grain and knead the dough. And what about dessert? A little goat cheese and a tray of fresh fruit? But will Jesus and his disciples stay overnight? Someone needs to change the sheets and, and someone needs to fold the towels. Forget about stopping to smell the roses. Martha has to pick the roses. Cut the stems at an angle. Arrange them carefully in a vase with baby's breath and maybe she'll take a, a second to snap a quick picture and post it on Facebook. Before moving to the next chore, so many, so many things to do and so little time to do it. Martha, in Martha's mind, it's just, it's just as busy as a, a room full of first graders. Of course, you won't find any of those details in the Bible. Instead, check it out. Luke wraps up Martha's whole afternoon in verse 40. Go back there. He wraps it up in just one verse, in one sentence. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. One more time, say distracted. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. After all, this was going to be a great big dinner party. Distracted. I feel like that's an interesting choice of words, don't you think? Many times the things that you and I think are so important are actually distractions. And what's Mary been up to this whole time? And in verse 39, Luke answers that question too. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Now listen, even if you've never heard this story before, I know that you know, maybe you're thinking, I can already tell where the story's headed. See, Martha's blood pressure, at this point it skyrockets every time she glances into the living room and she sees her little sister just sitting there at Jesus' feet, enjoying herself. I mean, with everything that is still left to do, there she sits, little Mary, totally oblivious to all that work uh, that Mary, uh, through all that work that Mary is do Martha's doing. See, I, I can just picture Martha slamming the kitchen cabinets and drawers, intentionally banging some pots and pans together, shuffling some, some dinnerware in hopes of getting her sister's attention like yesterday. She even shoots the evil eye with an extra squint in Mary's direction. Nothing has any effect. 
Mary only has eyes and ears for Jesus. And so pushed to the limit, Martha does something unprecedented. She clears her throat and literally interrupts Jesus. Here the Son of God is speaking the words of life. And Martha interrupts. Martha breaks in with her very basic and, and common complaint and, and convinced, she's convinced that Jesus is going to take her side. She says in verse 40, Lord, it just doesn't seem unfair to you. Doesn't it seem unfair that, to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now listen, this is where many of us actually want to stand up and cheer. And yet, instead of applauding Martha, in verse 41, Jesus gently rebukes her, saying, Martha, Martha. And then once he, he has her attention, he uses this opportunity as a teaching moment that will dramatically change Martha's life forever and ever. In verses 41 and 42, Jesus said, you are worried and upset about many things. Worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is important. Mary has chosen the better thing. Say better thing. One more time, better thing. Mary has chosen the better thing, and it will never be taken away from her. Wait, wait, what? The better thing? I mean, Martha must have wondered what exactly made Mary's choice to sit while she worked so much better than Martha's choice. I mean, Martha was serving after all. And yet I'm guessing that Mary is in a total waste of space. I mean, when she stopped by, I'm sh when, when Jesus stopped by, I'm sure Mary probably began the visit by helping out and, and serving like Martha, or I, at least I would think so. Maybe Mary took their jackets and, and their walking sticks and, and piled them up in a corner somewhere in Martha's per perfectly ordered house. Then maybe she hurried to pour some wine for her thirsty guests. But after Jesus and the disciples made themselves comfortable in the living room, complimented Martha on her, living, uh, on her lovely home, and wrapped up all of the small talk, Jesus began to teach. Remember, Jesus speaks like no one else. No one else has ever spoken like Jesus. There's an in innocent joy and, and a pleasing charm about him. And plus his words, they are magnetic and, and they are engaging. The words are as if they breathe life itself. And so Mary creeps closer, her arms wrapped around a, an empty pitcher, just listening to Jesus. I mean, she knows that there's more work to be done, but she's just mesmerized and she can't move except to move closer. Remember, it wasn't customary or proper for a woman to sit in a room full of men. After serving, the women would usually retire to another room with the children. That was the culture of the day. Jesus' words, they were so welcoming as she, that she gradually moves closer and closer until she finds herself kneeling at his feet and, and savoring his every word. You see, his teaching was full of grace and truth. It enveloped her, speaking straight into her soul. 
But somewhere in the distance, she hears her sister calling her name. Mary! Mary! And yet it's drowned out by Christ's words. I mean, it isn't every day that God visits your house. And so Mary ignores her duties, breaks with etiquette, presses even closer, as close to Jesus as possible. And while Martha focused on her task, Mary focused on, on her teacher. While Martha focused on jobs, Mary focused on Jesus. I'm willing to bet that there are more of us here today who can identify with Martha than with Mary. Like Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things. And sometimes if I can't read it on your faces, I can read it all over Facebook. See, life can get pretty hectic at times. If you're like me at the start of the day, you may have every intention to be like Mary, just sitting peacefully at the feet of Jesus, cultivating a closer and intimate relationship with him. But then your phone rings. I get an email. I'm reminded of the 12 appointments I have today. Or I have to get to the bank with the check I was supposed to deposit yesterday. And suddenly all of my good intentions about prayer time and extended devotions, they disappear, swallowed up by, by what Charles Hummel calls the tyranny of the urgent. Listen to this. In his book by that title, Charles writes, we live in a constant tension between urgent and the, un and the important. The problem is that the important task, they, they call for, uh, the important task rarely must be done today or even this week. And extra hours, sadly, extra hours of prayer and Bible study can always wait. But the urgent tasks call for instant action, endless demands of pressure every hour of every day. Does that sound familiar to anyone? It does to me. The best of intentions. Anybody ever say that? Anybody ever live that? The best of intentions. I mean, the 24 hours allotted to each day rarely stretches far enough to meet all of our obligations. And that's the truth. Each week I have multiple appointments and errands. I have a sermon to work on. I have multiple church members to follow up on. A wife to love, sons to parent, a side job or two to pay for the bills. And some of you are so much busier and you're thinking, is that all he has to do? See, I get it. If your family is anything like ours, you've got a lot on your plate. You've got laundry to fold, dishes to wash, children to care for, a spouse to love, a, do a dog to walk and to feed, church commitments to, speak, uh, to, to keep, uh, sports games to attend, toddlers to, to chase, lunch appointments, doctor's appointments, hair appointments, and that doesn't even begin to account for major projects and paperwork and priorities at the office or at the shop, at work. Life seems hectic at every single level, and so just like Martha, we are worried and upset about so many things. You've got a deadline to meet, a stack of orders to get out, so you get worried and upset. Your co-workers co aren't pulling their weight around the office, so you get worried and upset. 
Your kids are acting like Tasmanian devils uh, hopped up on Mountain Dew, so you get worried and upset. Your mother-in-law's coming for a visit, so you get worried and upset. The preacher goes on five more minutes than you thought he should, so you get worried and upset. It's no fun to be worried and upset, though. You don't want to feel like that, and neither do I. God doesn't want you to feel that way either, and so he calls. God is calling, and he speaks. He, he tries to get our attention, but we're so distracted. Worry has become so spiritually acceptable that many of us forget that, that, sin is, that, that worry is actually a sin, and yet we do it all the time. And for some of us, being worried and upset is a way of life. Yet take a look at Mary. Take a look at, her, look at her. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Hanging on to his every word. Does she look worried or upset? No. And it ticks some of you off. Because you know a Mary or two. Does she seem stressed or bent out of shape? Could it be that Mary's choice to sit at the feet of Jesus comes with a soothing side effect? Could it be that spending time with the Prince of Peace is the most important thing that we can do in this hectic, crazy, and busy life? See, I'm convinced that the more time we spend at the feet of Jesus, the less you and I are going to be worried about the little annoyances of life. In fact, Jesus set aside a portion of the Sermon on the Mount to talk about that very thing. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 27, he says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Verse 27, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? We know the answer to that is no. Just the opposite is true. Listen, according to WebMD, studies have found that people with even low levels of anxiety, meaning you sometimes stay awake at night worrying, for example, were about 20% more likely to die compared to people who don't, don't wrestle with worry at all. And so instead of being worried and upset all the time, Jesus wants us to seek him first. And, and when we do, he will personally eliminate a lot of that stress. And see, God is calling us to this. God is calling you. He's got your name on his lips. In fact, Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So when we fix our thoughts on, on Christ, we get to experience the peace of his presence. Mary experienced his peace in the midst of a pressure-filled and hectic day. Martha calling out, Mary! Mary! Why can't she hear me? Martha missed out. She let her to-do list take priority over her time with the Lord. And so if we let Jesus uh, uh, help us to eliminate some of the trivial things that we are spending so much of our time doing, we will get to enjoy our lives even more. In fact, we'll be happier, less frustrated, less burdened with guilt. Our lives will be far more satisfying and meaningful. I think it's noteworthy that when Jesus corrected Martha, he didn't say, Martha, why can't you be 
more like your sister Mary? Why can't you be more like Mary, though I know that to Martha it may have felt that way? You see, Jesus knew that Martha would never be Mary and that Mary would never be Martha. But when the two were faced with the same choice to work or to worship, Jesus said that Mary chose the better, the better thing. Does that mean that we should quit all our jobs and just sit around burning incense and doing Bible studies and having prayer meetings all the time? Of course not. We all have responsibilities and important things to do that need our attention. See, hard work and serving others, are, those are good things, but if we're not careful, they can become distractions from the better thing. It's easy to forget that while there's a time to work, there's also a time to worship, and it's the worship, the time that we spend with Jesus that actually provides the strength and, and the peace and, and the endurance that we need to manage a, a busy and a complex life. You see, meaningful, listen to this, meaningful intimacy and fellowship with God will never come out of the busyness of Martha's kitchen. Kitchen. It can only be found at the feet of Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Meaningful intimacy and fellowship with God will never come out of the busyness of Martha's kitchen. It can only be found at the feet of Jesus. Worship team, come. Listen, the Apostle Paul, he put it this way. Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9 says, Yes, everything else is worthless. Say worthless. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. You see, Martha's story, it serves as a powerful reminder to you and I of how important it is for all of us to slow down, to focus on Jesus, and to draw closer and closer to him daily. I'm sure that Martha's feelings were hurt a bit after Jesus called her out, after he called her name twice, and no one really enjoys being corrected. Anyone enjoy being corrected? No one really enjoys being corrected. I wouldn't be surprised if Martha felt like stomping out of the room or maybe burning the pot roast on purpose. But instead, Martha actually took Jesus' words to heart and she learned from them. You know how I know this? The next time we see Martha in the Gospel of John, chapters 11 and 12, we see a woman with strong faith, with an overwhelming desire to be in the presence of Jesus. I really think that Martha's transformation spells, it spells hope for the rest of us. I don't know, maybe you've spent the majority of your life being worried, worried and upset about many things. Listen, it's not too late to slow down and take a seat at the feet of Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? It's never too late. In fact, if, if some of you are feeling overwhelmed, if some of you are feeling overworked and, and underappreciated right now, I, I want to encourage you to lay your burdens and anxieties at the feet of Jesus. Uh, take some time today to slow down and connect with Jesus. 
See, God is calling. God is calling. He's calling you to the better thing. Today you can choose, like Mary, to sit at his feet. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you so much for the conviction of your Holy Spirit. Yes, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that we're not oblivious, that we're not uh, uh, stuck living that way, but that, Lord, your Holy Spirit comes to convict us and to let us know when we are going astray, to let us know uh, when we are missing it. And, and I say it all the time, God, never let your Holy Spirit leave me. Never let that conviction lead me. And let it lead us to repentance. As worry is a sin, God, forgive us for how much we worry, for how anxious we are, as if we don't have a God who paid the price for us, as if we don't have a God who will answer prayer today at the name of Jesus. God, forgive us, cleanse us, help us to choose the better thing. We lay aside every distraction. Help us lay aside everything that keeps us from drawing closer, that keeps us from the better thing. Touch every life, touch every heart. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Let's close in worship.